We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Edition of the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire, John Ellis, Billy Marshall, another second week in a row, a winning edition for Panthers fans out there. Panthers win 31-21, uh, get out to a 28-7 lead, and Billy and I have a ton of thoughts on uh, that, and I'm sure a few other things going on around a busy uh, NFL Monday here. Billy, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Yeah, so I'm doing pretty well, so much better performance this Sunday as opposed to last week, in my opinion. I made the, uh, you know, I, I laid it out that last week wasn't necessarily a sustainable performance long term, but I felt like this was a much more complete win from special teams to defense. So, uh, yeah, a lot of encouraging things yesterday. Totally agree. I know we had that conversation uh, last Tuesday on the podcast as we sort of glanced over what happened in Los Angeles there against the Chargers. And I remember that conversation you and I had about sustainability. And there were some things in that game, Billy, that, you know, you, you could feel positive about, but you just, you knew they had to do a better job overall. And I, I guess let's start with the offense here. Let's, let's not waste any time. Go right into Teddy Bridgewater to begin with. I mean, more downfield passing. Of course, some of his downfield passing has been very solid this year. Uh, some of it he's missed the mark, but I think overall in this game, 26 of 37. 276. Again, uh, we're looking at two touchdowns, short passes, but uh, 
managing the game well, doing well on third downs against a very good third down defense. Your impressions of Bridgewater in this game? Yeah, it was definitely his best game of the season. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, you know, he had a slight hiccup with the interception, uh, which was unfortunate because it was deep in their own territory. So Arizona had short field, but outside of that, I really don't think he made a poor decision. There was another throw, uh, first drive of the second half where it was third and 12, difficult situation, but he threw it into a difficult, uh, he threw it into a tough situation for DJ Moore in a, a really tight window. But that's like, just those two throws kind of outside of that, it, it was really hard to find any faults or issues with his performance. I think you can leave that game feeling pretty good about everything he did. Uh, obviously, he moved the pocket well. He did His ball placement was pretty good. Uh, there were a few throws where I felt like he can do better. And he also showed that he can... Run too, so that's yeah. another interesting component. There was the fourth down play, uh, where he did the bootleg and converted. Right. And obviously the touchdown, the 18 yards where he uh, eluded multiple defenders, made a couple nice moves and got in the end zone. So. Right. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty encouraging game. And just to give you a few other numbers, uh, 0.5 EPA per play. I know we've discussed EPA before and that's obviously uh-huh. really good and, uh, his CPOE, his completion percentage over expectation was positive 6.3. So he was making the throws. The receivers made some plays. So all around a very positive game from him. Totally agree. I, I think the, the run he made was so impressive on so many levels. You know, we, everybody knows the injury he went through in 2016 in Minnesota. We, we don't want to relive that in too much detail because it was gruesome. But obviously, you know, it was talked about during the broadcast, and I couldn't help but notice, you know, when he made that run, the, the, the jump cut he made, you know, midway through that run was so impressive. Again, you don't want to put too much into one play. And, and Carolina, I think, has, has seen this from Cam Newton over the years, the ability to, you know, uh, as Matt Rule has talked about, making plays uh, out of structure and finding something when there's nothing, and and Cam was the master of that for years here, but to see Teddy do that with all the scrutiny, including much of which has come from me, uh, to make that kind of play was utterly impressive. But I think more than that, the ability to you know move the ball around, get it to different targets, to manage the pocket, to be able to like like you said on the fourth down, get the bootleg out there and pick up the first down, I thought was tremendously impressive, and that's what we have talked about with Teddy. And this entire regime, you know, let's continue to see some progression here in the right direction. And I think Teddy did a, just a fantastic job. Again, you're asking him to pass 37 times, uh, and that's 276 in the air, as opposed to Kyler Murray. We'll get to the defense a little later, but this is the second game in a row where Carolina, with a different regime, some similar concepts, though, able to bottle up Murray for 133 yards passing, which I thought was quite impressive. But, again, we'll get to the defense shortly here. But Bridgewater... Uh, 32 yards on the ground, 276 total in the air. And then the, the rushing attack, too. I thought, you know, we, <laughs> we get back to this conversation about paying Christian McCaffrey. And, again, we're going to keep debating this as long as they keep winning. 35 carries for as a team, 168. Mike Davis filling in nicely, 16 for 84. 
your impressions of this running game, not only from the back's perspective, but from a blocking perspective, Billy, what did you think? Yeah, I think I think it's important to realize that a lot of the success run rushing attacks are based on is primarily from how the blocking and how the scheme operates. Right. But I think there's also an opportunity to look into how the running backs themselves did too. And I felt like Davis, he was creating yards after contact. He was eluding defenders at the line of scrimmage to pick up positive yards. I mean, he did some pretty good things in the past game too, but overall he had, you know, a very positive game and just not just him. Bonifon too had a few uh, nice carries and a lot of people are going to say, Oh, he, you know, ran through an open hole, but yeah, he didn't. Uh, at, at the same time, there's, you know, the running backs have to also execute and time those plays, and I, I felt he did that. So a pretty good game from both of the running backs, in my opinion. Yeah, both were right at the 5.3 per clip, which is very healthy, of course. Uh, Mike Davis, 16 for 84. Bonifan, uh 10 for 53. And, of course, uh, Bonifan also caught a pair of passes for 18 yards, and the uh, – the touchdown as well down there in the red zone. So again, you can't say enough good things about what uh, this line has done. Uh, Pat Meyer, of course, the offensive line coach, first year here in Carolina, and doing it with some guys, Billy, and we can kind of zone in on the offensive line a little bit here, with without 100% here. I mean, you know, Trey Turner's obviously gone, and Russell Okung was a part of that trade, and he's been out, and Greg Little uh, played the majority of the snaps at left tackle, had a really good game last year, against Arizona, and again this year, I think, held his own quite well against Chandler Jones and company over there. And again, Chris Reed at left guard. Uh, John Miller continues to play some good football. Paradis looks better. And, of course, Taylor Moten uh, anchoring that right side. Just the offensive line overall, I thought, was was really fluid and, and played a very clean game. Yeah, I, I think that's you, you sum it up perfectly. Uh, I mean, the first player that I'll talk about, I'll go from left to right. I'll go with the left tackles because there did seem to be some rotation among Trent Scott and Greg Little. It looks like yeah. Little played 54 snaps and Scott played, Scott played 22. Uh, Little did give up one hit uh, in, in run blocking. He was pretty good in pass blocking. I felt he could have been a little better. Uh, he didn't grade out too well in pass blocking according to Pro Football Focus, um, but I mean, personally, it, it was a fine performance, and hopefully, he establishes some sort of foundation um, so he can, you know, take it forward moving uh, in the future. Uh, sure. But then I'll go to Chris Reed. He obviously played really well in the run game. Um, you know, he created a lot of holes, but equally impressive. I thought he did well in the passing game. Only gave up one hurry, uh, so not too shabby on his end. Uh, Paradis, he had an okay game. Um, it, it, it was a little struggle, I felt like, for him in pass protection at times, but mm-hmm. I felt that what the team did is they schemed up protections really well um, so he wouldn't be left on an island, and they had the running backs in tight end stand of protection um, to counter the blitzes. And, you know, a player who's actually been very surprising this year has been John Miller. I was kind of lukewarm on the signing. I didn't hate it. I thought it was fine, but... Uh, he's been pretty good, especially in pass blocking, and he didn't give up any pressures or hurries. And then finally, Moton, again, another just stellar performance. And 
I mean, we could talk about it later, but listening to Marty Herney on the radio today, it kind of sounds like Panthers fans just enjoy Moton while he's here because I don't think he's going to be here next year, unfortunately. I mean, what did Marty have? To, I didn't, I didn't hear this. To explain to our listeners here what, in general, what Marty had to say about uh, Taylor today. Yeah, so he was on WFNZ today, um, speaking to Kyle. Um, I forget his last name. Bailey, Kyle, Kyle Bailey. Bailey. Yeah, Kyle, yeah Bailey. Kyle Bailey, good friend of ours. Right. Um, so he spoke to him, and you know, I, I was really appreciative of Kyle bringing it up because a lot of people, um, you know, they they want to know about Moton getting paid. Uh, rightfully, he's one of yeah. their really good young players, and we've been two of those guys wanting to know. <laughs> Right. So Kyle, uh, so Kyle asked him and Marty replied that he ha- is having no negotiations with any players at this time, which kind of suggests to me like he hasn't spoken to his representatives and I don't really see that changing. I don't know. I could be wrong, but that was sort of the impression I got. I mean, it went a little deeper. He just said that we don't know the financial circumstances. We don't know what, what's going to happen, but we haven't, we're not speaking to anyone, um, regarding extensions this time. And he didn't mention Moton by name, which, uh, was a little discouraging. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't really, I wasn't really too thrilled to hear him say that. Obviously I that's, appreciate that's, Kyle asking, but yeah, yeah. no, I mean, it's, you got to ask the question. I think that's a good job by him, but. It begs the question, how, how has Marty's role changed, if at all? I mean, maybe he's not in a position to answer that question because he's not necessarily, you know, at the forefront of those negotiations as much as he used to be, or maybe it just is what it is, you know, that they have put a new, uh, you know, policy in place, I guess, in terms of talking about this stuff publicly. Uh, I, I, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt, but we've seen Marty over the years, you know, not, not come through in certain situations like this. And you'd hate to see a guy like Moten, who's, you know, played very well and could be a rock for this line for a long time. The, it's just like, it's, it's a model of consistency now. Yeah. It's, we've seen him stack up these type of performances right. and he's become so reliable on the right side and he's still really young. I, I don't get it. I think that's a player that you should be running to re-sign and renegotiate because you, those type of players don't just show up in the draft and they certainly just don't they show up. They just don't. They, and the, the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets, the better he plays. So I think mean, they're going to have to figure that out, obviously. And I would uh, like to, I don't, I don't know if you've um, heard anything, but I would like to, maybe the media can ask the coaches what they think of his performance because I, I know that they ask him about Greg Little and Okung and their healths and all that, but I really would like to hear how the coaches, uh, what they think about Motown's performances too. Well, I would ask it, but I'm not there. So, <laughs> but definitely. Eventually, drop, when you get your. We'll drop a bug in some of our buddies' ears, Nick Carboni being one of them, to maybe get that, get that asked in one of the next pressers here, because I would certainly want to know. And then perhaps it's been addressed and I just haven't caught it, but a lot of the emphasis has been on left tackle and, uh, Okung's health and, and the play of Greg Little, which of course we all want to know about, but, uh, we got to get a better update and feel on where they are with Moden, so hopefully they'll keep pressing on that. And uh, good for Kyle Bailey for for pressing the issue a little bit. Uh, but yeah, just back to the game. And uh, I just I thought it was impressive from Joe Brady's perspective. You know, again, uh, there's been some question marks about some of the situational calls, but I think you and I can agree that overall he's been impressive this year in terms of how he's called the game, 
the flow of the game. Matt Rule made it a point in his press conference that, you know, it's not really about the coaches, it's about the players, and I think we both agree with that to a large extent. But Joe Brady is really looking like a rock star right now through four games. That game yesterday, I know Arizona was a mess defensively. Uh, Vance Joseph just did not have a good handle on the flow of that game. And I think Cliff, to a certain degree, offensively didn't do a great job putting Kyler in situations. But I, I think just your thoughts on Joe Brady here as we, we are into the second quarter of a season now, your overall evaluation of how he's running things offensively here. Yes, I'm glad you asked this because I thought Carolina's coaches completely outclassed Arizona. Sure, Starting yeah. Special teams. Offense, defense, game management, clock management, everything. I, yeah. I just thought it was a complete dismantling. And if you're a Cardinals fan, I'd be a little concerned um, sure, about yeah, how yeah. that game went because yes. the talent disparity between the two teams is clearly evident. They have, the Cardinals have talent. Like, let's not get it. They're twisted. very talented. Very talented. So yeah. I'll start first with the offense. But yeah, Brady, he, I, I can get a little annoyed at times when he calls some of these early down runs. It's, it's really just, I'm not saying it's not helpful, but they they do such a better job of going play action and throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's also shown in their productivity. Their early pass EPA per play is at 0.25 while their early rush EPA per play is at negative 0.05 and early Rush and early pass stand for first and second down. So I can get a little annoyed with them when they start going, calling these runs, especially in loaded boxes. I'm just like, can you please check out of this and go play action? Yeah. Outside of that, I can't really complain. The concepts are working. They're getting guys open. They're doing a lot of tight splits and they're just scheming up some really nice stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you, you know, as a coach, you're, you're only so good as your talent will take you at times. And I think that speaks to some of the additions this regime has made. You know, I got called out by one guy, Travis Hancock, good buddy of mine from FNZ, about, well, should Marty Hardy get some of the credit for what you're saying? You know, I think it's a team effort bringing in a guy like Robbie Anderson. I don't, I don't know if Robbie Anderson ends up here without Matt Rule, obviously. Um, but the, the larger point I'm trying to make here is a guy like Robbie Anderson in particular, whom many thought an Adam Gase's system and, and with the Jets overall was just uh, kind of a lost cause in a way, um, has been very impressive from my perspective, not only on the vertical stuff, but not being a one-trick pony. I mean, he's getting stuff intermediate part of the field. He's getting across the middle. He's getting tough yards. He's showing versatility. Um, and, of course, DJ had some good plays there. It didn't start out so great. Uh, Curtis is getting a little more involved. Uh, but, yeah, Robbie Anderson, to me, I did just – can we – Continue to build on that, Billy, the, the idea of bringing in a guy like Anderson, who we talked you know, early season here, you know, don't get too carried away with the expectations. But your thoughts on Robbie so far, uh, four games in now? I mean, he's been probably better than expected, and I had hope for, high hopes for him. So Anderson, he's just really reliable. I think yeah. you get what you see, and – I mean, I was really impressed with this game yesterday. He should have had a touchdown. Teddy actually, um, yeah, underthrew him at the goal line on one of those pick plays. Yep. Um, but yeah, he's been, he's been really good. He's been a revelation in my opinion. And I, I think both of us can confidently say he's been probably the best receiver or skill player even, 
through four games. Sure, Obviously, sure. we think McCaffrey's probably the best player, but he's not playing right now. So he's not available. Yeah. So Anderson, I think you know maybe he's probably been the guy who's been the best uh, skill talent, um, you know, through four weeks. Uh, but I will say that Curtis Samuel actually had a really good game yesterday. I know there's been a lot of people like floating his name out in trade talks and stuff like that, but I thought he played really well yesterday, and and that was pretty encouraging. Uh, I don't know what you thought, but. Uh, DJ had an okay game. Uh, he had a drop and he had a couple other instances where he could have done better. Uh, I know he, that goal route to uh, Byron Murphy could have started yeah. better and he didn't get open, but I thought that, I, I really do think that Curtis had a positive game. I don't know what you think. Uh, I thought Curtis played very well. You know, he only had four targets, but he caught three of those. 17 average, he had a long of 24 and he made that one catch, which was spectacular, uh, over coverage there. And then Teddy sort of floated one in there into the window and, there wasn't much room. It was, you know, the announcers were making the point what a good throw this was. And I, I, I admire the fact that Teddy gave the shot, but even more impressively was that catch Samuel made on that little corner route. Uh, yeah, I think he's done well. They continue to try to get him involved in the running game. I don't have a huge problem with that. I mean, obviously it's only two touch, two carries, two touches from the backfield. They're not getting much there. Um, so I don't think they're over utilizing him, but it's obvious that he's a receiver and he's a good one. And, you know, as long as they continue to give him, you know, at least five or six targets in a game, he'll probably come down with at least four of those and give you, you know, 15, 20 yards per pop. I think he's a very valuable component. I had some questions. I still do as far as if they'll leverage that into a trade opportunity or not. I just from their thinking, uh, there's no real way to know. But his name was floated enough uh, in the offseason to, to at least consider that might be a possibility at some point. So, you yeah, know, I hope not. The, um... Sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. I just want to bring up another play. Obviously, we remember that really impressive catch that he had on that corner route. Yep. Which I thought was a really good throw, too. Good throw. Yeah. But the Cardinals made it 28 to 14, and the Carolina, uh, they started off the drive slow, two runs, and then they get like a penalty, it was like third and 14, and they converted. You know, Bridgewater did a pretty good job stepping up, and he drilled, you know, a, a dig that route to That Moore. was a great play. Or excuse yeah. me, that was a Curtis Samuel. That was Curtis, so, yeah. That was another pretty clutch reception by Samuel. So, I mean, it, it, he definitely made his presence known, in my opinion. It was very. That was right as the second half, I believe, it was was getting underway here. And I remember that play. They were deep in their own territory, and and it was a, a huge situational play for every for all three units. I mean, the offensive line gave protection. Teddy rode that pocket and drove that ball in with velocity, and and mm-hmm. Curtis made a great catch. On that dig, as you said, I thought that was a tremendous play. And you got to look, you know, beyond the stats, like you just made a great point there to, to, to find individual situational plays that, that made a, a huge difference in the game. That would be one of them right there to get out of a, a bad situation on the minus side of the field. Um, again, looking at the, the core statistics here, DJ four receptions, 49 yards. Uh, Samuel had 51 on three. Uh, Mike Davis, five catches, 27, not much there, but he can keeping some things moving in terms of the, uh, check downs and whatnot. They try to get a little screen game going there. And it, it, you know, one play they had in particular that I thought was great was a little throwback screen to Robbie and seeing Greg Little out there just, you know, with, <laughs> with some hate in his heart, making that block in the open field. You love seeing a play like that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, that was perfectly designed. They did play action, which forced the defense to go one direction, and on the opposite way, they had Anderson slip out. Um, and it was a three-on-one, so yeah. it was a pretty well-executed play. And that kind of reminded me of one of those 
plays that we saw in 2017 or 2018, uh, a lot of motions and shifts coupled with play action. you got to add some eye candy, what they call it, to these plays to really get defenses to over-pursue and create a schematic advantage for yourself, and I felt like the Panthers did that all game. I thought it was great. Yeah, you talk about efficiency here. You know, the Cardinals came in with a very good third-down defense. I think, it, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was the most efficient uh, third-down defense in the league. Uh, Carolina third and fourth down combined was eight of 12. I mean, that's outstanding. And, you know, the ability to continue to, to get the chains moving to, to win that fresh set of downs is the core of, of any game. I, I look at the fourth quarter. I mean, what kind of shift to the defense here in a minute, but damn, the time of possession, uh, they, they had the ball for, I believe, 12 minutes in the fourth quarter. And at that point, the game was pretty well in hand, but still, you never know with Kyler and they can move the ball quick. Uh, they didn't in this game, but they, they can do that. And the ability to hold on to the ball for 12 minutes in the fourth quarter was just outstanding. I mean, that's just, uh, you're, you're going to win every time you, you do that in the fourth quarter and you got a lead. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, shifting defensively here. Um, I mean, what can you say? I mean, this is, we've seen Tyler Murray progress and I'm, I'm, I love this guy. I, I think he's a tremendously talented football player. And a great passer. Um, but this is now two games Carolina has faced him. And the uh, yards per attempt remains under four. I mean, the Carolina, with their pressure package, with the ability for a guy like Brian Burns, again, only uh, the one sack here on the stat sheet for YGM. But the ability for these ends to continue to put pressure. And I, I thought it was great to see Chin in a spy position. Let's just start there in terms of what they were able to do against Kyler Murray. Your thoughts, Billy? Okay, and before I get to that, I, I just want to say one more time, this was a really pathetic game from Cliff Kingsbury. And our good friend Stephen Ruiz, he wrote today in one of his columns that Cliff is holding back Kyler, and I could not agree more with that. And I'm someone who thinks Cliff is a good coach, but I think Kyler is more important to that franchise. And right now the Cardinals, their early pass frequency at this stage of the season, it's third or fourth in the league. So they're passing it more, but that's deceiving because essentially they're calling like a lot of RPOs and screens, which essentially is an extension of the run game. Right. So if you actually look at Murray's pass chart from Next Gen Stats or from one of these other outlets that track it, it really isn't a lot of downfield stuff. I mean, this is freaking Kyler Murray. This isn't Teddy Bridgewater or Alex Smith. You have to have a quarterback that really stretches the field. And I know he missed a few times, but you have to tailor your offense around him. So and give Phil Snow credit because they just completely like snuffed this out. They knew what they were doing. They had their defense play a little off the line of scrimmage with that, which I thought was smart. And they had everyone converge down, which essentially means that, you know, as soon as the throw goes, they had their guys, they're relying on their guys to make tackles. And the Panthers, mm-hmm. for the most part, their tackling was pretty great. It was really good. Yeah. Much so, Matt, Matt Rule even made a point today in his press conference to, uh, to highlight that, you know, when he talked about, you know, give coaches credit, but the players really came with a better purpose and, and better execution on Sunday. And I thought the tackling was well, some of the best tackling I've seen from this defense and, and maybe from go back to early last year. Billy, it's been so long since we've seen the defense tackle this well in Carolina. Except for one player. Well, we yes. won't name it. But I think, I think most of our know. listeners know who we're talking about. Yep. Uh, the weakest link. <laughs> but, I mean, there, I mean, there also was one play where Shaq just got completely, like, uh, turned around. But that was yeah. his only, like, yeah. poor mistake. But, um, you know, 
the player in question that we've been discussing, he had multiple of those uh, mistakes. Well, he didn't even have mistakes happening. He just didn't know how to pursue players. Uh, but regardless, outside there's a schematic, um, you know, differences between how the Panthers were able to just completely shut down the Cardinals is really impressive. And they're doing it with a talent base that's really okay. It's not nothing to be, you know, right home about. It's not like. Well, we felt uh, it would be, a, we felt it would be a bigger uphill battle than this bill. Let's be honest. I know I did. I mean, this is. I didn't think I this was, defense would be top. 25. I didn't think they would either. And I, I didn't th- look at the Arizona game on the schedule again. Hopkins was a little bit hobbled coming in, but still, I, you know, Kingsbury, I, I totally agree, did a lot of predictable stuff in that game. And I think you got to weigh that in. But again, defensively, some of their young guys are shining more than I think we thought this early. Jeremy Chin comes to mind. Justin Burris, I thought played very well, had some good coverages and, had a tackle for loss, played very well in the box when asked. Um, and these corners are holding up. I mean, and again, adding some of these veterans like Rasul Douglas, who continues to hold up fairly well. Dante was dinged up a little bit in and out. Eli missed most of the game uh, with uh, a, a lower body injury. And, you know, I think overall they're they're holding up, Billy. I, I just I, I want to continue to see some of the interior pressure grow. I mean, they're getting better there, obviously getting short back, and I thought Brown did very well in the run game. But, man, off the edge. I mean, look at uh, Yatur Grossmatos and Brian Burns, who you made the point on our podcast two weeks ago, everybody needs to get on his level. And, again, the, on the stat sheet, when you look at sacks, it's it's more than that. He doesn't have that many. But he's getting the pressures, and he's he's affecting the pass, Billy. Quite, quite honestly, he is. Yeah, definitely. I think Brian Burns, I, said, I might have said this last week, he's probably the best player on this team right now. Yeah. And I stand by it because this guy is just doing everything. I mean, they're dropping him less in the coverage overall, which I feel like uh, is a good thing. He only dropped in the coverage four times, according to Pro Football Focus's charting. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty encouraging. You 29 pass rush snaps and 18 on run defense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Gross Matos was the highest graded player according to PFF. I don't think that's really a revelation. Whenever you get a forced fumble like that and you have another pressure, uh, oh, you're going to get noticed. Yeah, uh, but Derek Brown, he had another really good game. He was the second highest graded player on defense. So it's pretty encouraging to, you know, have your first two, uh, draft picks show out like that. And, and, and this is the thing with Derek Brown. And I want to keep saying it for everyone, anyone who tried to, tries to dunk on me or anyone else who had, skepticism on Brown. This He's playing exactly how I projected. He is yeah. affecting, and he is becoming one of the best run defenders in the NFL. I don't think yeah. anyone would tell you otherwise. My skepticism came from his ability to you know, affect the pass. And right now, unfortunately, he hasn't done that, but he's playing at a high enough level on run defense where, I mean, he, he's certainly, I mean, it depends how much you value that, but I, I think he, he's making uh, my points kind of valid as far sure. as how no, he's to- playing. Totally. Your evaluation, you and I had this discussion during the draft. I know a lot of folks, uh, you know, saw your analysis, which was very in-depth and, and very on point in terms of his athletic testing, not being quite up to standards as, as far as the ability to get penetration and, and shoot the gap and be the kind of pass rusher that people imagined. But no, I think you and I were in, in concert with this, that, you know, what you're getting with, what you're getting with Derek Brown is very much what you saw yesterday, the ability to eat up space, the ability to occasionally shoot the gap on runs and, and 
get a tackle for loss and affect the run and discourage the run. And I think it's tremendously valuable for this defense, considering they already have their edge rushers pretty much set. I think, you know, Weatherly is still a very good rotational player, but getting YGM back in there on a more full-time basis, you, you can't say enough about that. He, you know, uh, along with the, uh, the, the force fumble he had, he came off of one block and got Kyler right beyond the line of scrimmage. And it wasn't a sack, but it, it might as well have been. It was a minimal gain. I mean, overall, the rushing department, you know, Kyler had ripped off the 48-yarder, which was, you know, you can see right there in a heartbeat what Kyler can do with his athleticism. But overall, the backs, uh, Drake 13 for 35 and uh, Edmonds 4 for 16. You'll take that every day of the week. I think that's great uh, in terms of their progress in in the run defense department. You know, obviously last year was an absolute disaster there. Anybody could run Carolina with impunity. Mm-hmm. So you like seeing that. Uh, and in terms of, you know, what Arizona was able to do in terms of their receiving core, obviously Hopkins, I felt was limited. He looked limited, you know, seven receptions, 41 yards. Again, I was just stunned by how little they were able to get done downfield. And I, I think to your point, to Stephen Ruiz's point, who wrote about this, uh, Kingsbury just uh, didn't call a very good game. He just didn't. Yeah, no, it was pretty inexcusable. Uh, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'd be a little concerned about that. But yeah, I mean, credit the coaches, and, and I've said this earlier, but there were a lot of game plan and clock management things that you know really encouraged me. And I, the first one I want to point to is the decision to go for it on fourth down early in the game. I mean, that was a really good decision. I don't think yeah. anyone. I mean, two weeks ago we were blasting them rightfully, I may add, for. Giving, showing up in a punt formation and doing whatever the hell they did. I mean, that <laughs> right. was, uh, that was pretty, uh, inexcusable. It was bad. It was, it oh. still is bad, but I mean, they, yeah. to your point, they seem to have learned from it. Sure. So, uh, according to Edge Sports, EDJ Sports, the decision to go for it, um, on fourth and two from the four, Arizona 41, uh, it increased Carolina's game winning percentage by 4.4%. Um, wow. So not only did they make the right decision, they also converted, and, and that's the benefits. You have to take these chances. You're not going to be 100% fourth down decisions. It's just impossible. But if you continue to go you know, make the smart decisions like this within the game, like you're going to give yourself better chances to you know, increase your win percentage and win the game. Um, and then obviously I posted a clip on this job recently, like maybe a few hours ago. Uh, I mean, they did this twice, actually, where Arizona subbed on a player late, and that allowed Carolina to bring on a player. But what they did was, and I'm sure many people who watch the game, they, the defensive player they brought on, he slowly jogged onto the field. Right. So it would delay the play clock, and I think Arizona one time had to use a timeout because of that. So that's another, like, in the margins coaching decision that uh, left me uh, more encouraged that maybe they know, maybe they're gaining a better appreciation of how to, uh, you know, coach within this uh, league that they probably did in the first three weeks. So if they can continue to improve and show this type of consistency uh, week in and week out, then I think you can leave this season encouraged about the future. I was, I was so impressed by that play, you know, down there near the, uh, the goal line for Arizona. I'll retweet that for, for my followers. And I know a lot of my followers have seen this tweet already from you, but those kind of things, you know, the, the the big question I had with this staff, and I, I still have it. I mean, obviously it's four games, but I like to break these seasons up into chunks, four-game chunks. I've always done that. Two and two, okay, and you've been competitive in all four now. 
And when you start to strategically outmaneuver more seasoned coaches, you know, like again, a, a Cliff Kingsbury who, who now is in, you know, his second season. Again, you have Vance Joseph on the other side who has been doing this for a long time with mixed results on the defensive coordinator end. I thought it was impressive just that they were able to match wits strategically, tactically. And every time you see that, I mean, they've gone against Bruce Arians. They've gone against John Gruden. Uh, these are bona fide NFL staffs. And I, I'm getting less concern about that moving forward because I'm seeing a lot of good adaptation from the staff. But when it gets right down to it, it's about the players. And it's what I thought coming into this year. I wasn't picking them to win more than six games. And I still think that's a pretty good assessment. You know, they're two and two. And I, <laughs> we had this discussion last week about how to fan, how to tell people how to fan and how not to get too aggressive in that area. And I, I totally agree with you. We had a great talk. I think we talked it out very thoroughly. And a lot of our listeners appreciated that perspective from you in particular. But I think as you go forward, it's important to manage expectations. And I think some fans are getting used to the idea, as, as I kind of imagine this would go, that the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes is not really in play for this team right now. They just don't suck enough. I don't know how else to say it. They constructed the roster to compete right now. The defense is overachieved. And I think there's a lot of room for optimism in a very strange year and a very, you know, the, the division that has a lot of question marks, Billy, that they can compete. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it, it, it's a twofold answer there. Uh, they, they certainly can compete within each game. I don't disagree there. I think the larger question is when you say compete, does that mean competing for uh, the division title or deep into playoffs? But I, I agree that this team definitely plays above its talent level. And I think to that, it's a credit to the coaches. Certainly. I think, you know, the larger point there is, you know, you can't get too far ahead of yourself. I mean, Atlanta's trying to find their footing. They'll play later tonight uh, as we uh, tape this on Monday night against the Packers. And they're in a situation where they're they're staring down the barrel of, what, 0-4 now if they don't win. Um, I, the competitor in me always looks at the divisional races a little too early, I think. And that's not where you – the starting point of the season was never, okay, we're going to win the OC South. That's I'm sure the goal in that building was let's get as close to that goal as possible. But the larger macro goal is, look, let's see some evolution here from our coaches, from our players, and I've been nothing short of impressed by that. Um, and, and I think from a fan perspective, you know, the 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 cam stuff, the way they handle the offseason, the messaging. I had this conversation with Julian Council last night. We were demon back and forth, and uh, he said, you know, I guess it's time for us to get a little more excited about this current team. And I said, well, here's the thing. For me, it's a weekly eval. It's a week-to-week deal, and the progression has been there. So they haven't looked like fools out there. They haven't been getting embarrassed. And I would love Trevor Lawrence. I tell, I'm telling you, he had another outstanding performance this past weekend. And I'm covering Clemson right now for uh, one of their affiliates. And I'm down there watching this guy play. And I mean, everybody sees him. There's no secret there, but just the intangibles he brings too. He's going to be a superstar. I just don't think Carolina is going to be in a position unless they somehow mortgage their future to, to get him. So I think, you know, you look at Bridgewater. With this kind of play, can he be the answer for them for the next few years? Like you said at the beginning of this uh, take, it, it's just a week-to-week thing. And maybe we look back in five weeks and we see Arizona is like 2-6 and six or 2-7, and seven, yeah. and they're just not a good football team. Or, or maybe they're like 4-3 and three or 5-2, and two, whatever. So 
I just think we have to take this stuff week by week. Every week is going to present a new opportunity. Uh, because let's be honest, Bridgewater played well week one, didn't have a great game the next two weeks, great performances the next two weeks. And then last week, um, yeah, I mean, yesterday he plays obviously well. So I think, sure, he can be the starting guy, but let's see it consistently. And I think there's plenty of games to determine that. Indeed, there's a big one coming up this week. Uh, one thing I told my brother, who's been a lifelong fan, is, look, one thing you want to start doing is getting Atlanta off your back here. It's been six years since they've won a game down there in the ATL. And they got a big one this week. Uh, we'll preview that, obviously, coming up Thursday and give you guys a, a better idea on our Friday edition of what to expect in that matchup. But my closing thoughts here, you know, again, extremely impressed by what I'm seeing from Matt Rule. Phil Snow, Joe Brady, all the position coaches, and the core guys you're starting to see you can get an attachment to from a fan base perspective. Bridgewater's a guy you can get behind. Mike Davis starting to shine a little bit in a backup role. Robbie Anderson is shining with another 99-yard, almost 100-yard game. And the offensive line's coming together. Defensively, a lot of young talent to really be excited about, uh, led by, of course, Brian Burns off the edge. Um, Billy, just some closing thoughts for you as we uh, move forward into another division game here. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly an encouraging performance. Their first complete game of the year, I think, unlike last week, where I thought that performance uh, should be met with some skepticism. I thought this week was total and complete control and domination. Uh, and what we'll, we'll, remains to be seen, I, I hope, and I really do hope, that this type of performance can show the type of consistency this team can provide in the future. I, I just, I hope it's not like a aberration and this is just a one-time thing uh, because if they continue to play like this week in and week out, they'll give themselves a good shot moving forward, whether it's this year or next year. So let's really hope that this was not just a, an outlier performance, but I think that, you know, fans should obviously, you know, ha- take some level of, uh, appreciation for what transpired yesterday. Well said, Billy Marshall. Uh, again, appreciate you guys joining us tonight uh, on The Roar here, right here on Blue Wire coming up uh, Friday. We'll give you a full preview of what's coming up for Atlanta and uh, a team that is very much in need of some wins, the Falcons, a team that's kind of built to win right now in a way, and uh, they're aging too. So this is a good opportunity for Carolina to make a statement in Atlanta and Give the Falcons something to think about moving forward as well as the entire NFC as we uh, continue to progress through a very interesting 2020 NFL season. For Billy Marshall, John Ellis, we'll catch you next time right here on the Roar on Blue Wire. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.